was sending out his disciples. Uh, they're going to go on their first mission trip, just going to go out on their own for a short little trip and come back. It's a learning trip. And when he gets ready to send them out here in this last few verses, he's going to tell them what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, uh, what it takes, what they're going to run into when they get out there, what kind of commitment. That's what we're going to talk about today, what kind of commitment it's going to take to be a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And this is a very important lesson for everybody in this room, not just for these disciples, but for us. We need to answer that question. What does it take for me to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And we're going to be looking at that for the next four weeks. I'm going to do four sermons on what it takes to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And this week, I want to show you the first thing that it's going to take from you. Hopefully, everybody in here wants to be a follower of Jesus Christ. That's why you're here. So what does it take from me to be a follower of Jesus Christ? And the first thing that it's going to take is commitment. So I want to show you, I titled this sermon today, How to Be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. I want to show you what the kind of commitment it takes. It takes a, a great commitment, a, a high commitment here. So let's stand together and I'll read you these two verses as Jesus shows us the commitment it takes to follow him. It's going to take a, a commitment. And I hope, my prayer is that as, as I've studied this and as now I present it to you, that it'll capture your attention. It'll grab a hold of you. It'll, it'll arrest you. It'll be like it, this passage reaches out and grabs you by the, the shirt collar and shakes you and says, this is what it means to follow Jesus. I want you to see that today. I want you to understand how to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. And these two verses will show us that. Next week, I want to show you how to be a fearless follower of Jesus Christ. The next week, I want to show you how to be a bold follower of Jesus Christ. I can keep going. Verse 24. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? And these two verses, I know it doesn't sound like a whole lot, but these two verses will teach us how to be a committed follower of Jesus Christ. So let's pray together, and then we'll study these verses. Father, we thank you for your word, and that you have given us, uh, you've laid it out for us. You're not hiding anything. Uh, sometimes we don't look, and we don't want to know what it takes, but you have made it very clear in your word what it takes to be a follower of you. So God, I pray that for us as followers, that we would see that today, and where we have fallen short, we'll step up. Because uh, I think we all need to step up and be closer followers of you. So show us that, teach us that here today. And God, I'm, I'm always aware that in a room like this, with this many people, there is somebody in here who is not a follower of you. May today be that day where you, God, show them. Open their eyes, their ears, and, and their heart. And that today will be the first day they take that step of faith and become a follower of Jesus Christ. So help me today, help us today. What we do here is a waste of time if we don't have the power of your spirit working in and through us. So help us, aid us here today, and we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. One of my favorite hymns, and I, and I like hymnals, I like songs, I like studying lyrics of songs. One of my favorite hymn, hymns, and I think you, most of you guys know this, I, I sing it a lot, one of my favorite hymns is I Have Decided to Follow Jesus. I love that hymn, and it, it takes me back. The first time that I ever heard it was watching a Billy Graham crusade on a, a video on, on, uh, that, that I'd seen when I was younger. And Billy Graham would get up. If you guys don't know Billy Graham, one of the greatest preachers of our time, one of the greatest preachers of our generation. And he'd done all these crusades, and thousands upon thousands of people would fill stadiums to hear Billy Graham preach the gospel. And as he would preach the gospel and finish up his, his gospel presentation and then preach a sermon, he would urge and he would appeal to people to, to give their lives to Jesus Christ. And he would always, almost every time I've ever seen him, he would always play the same song. He would finish up his sermon. He'd say, I now invite you to come and give your life to Jesus Christ. And then George Beverly Shea would come up, his song leader, and he would begin to sing. Everybody would stand and they would sing, I have decided to follow Jesus. And it was amazing. Go Google it. Go look it up on YouTube. And when they would start singing that song, people would flock up the aisles to follow Jesus. It was an amazing picture that you would see. Look it up. It's, it's, it's awesome. I imagine that every time I get up to preach, that's what's going to happen. You know, I want, I want to be like Billy Graham. And I get up and give the invitation. And, and people decide in that moment, at that time, I want to follow Jesus. But this song has more behind it than you could ever imagine. Let me tell you the story behind this song. 
It's more than a song about a simple decision. It's more than a song about altar calls. This is a song about counting the cost of following Jesus. Listen to this. In the 1880s in India, there was a man and his family, a wife and two kids, that they were saved out of Hinduism. The leaders in that small tribe in India decided they'd make an example of this family and make sure that nobody else decided to follow Jesus. So they brought them before everybody in this little village and they stood them up on a stage where everybody could see them and they looked at the father and they said, renounce Jesus or your kids will die. Standing there with bow and arrow aimed at his two kids. And this man said, I have decided to follow Jesus and there's no turning back. And they shot his two kids dead with arrows. True story. And then they looked at him and said, renounce Jesus or your wife will die. And he looked at them and said, though none go with me, still I will follow. And they shot his wife dead with an arrow. And then they looked at him and said, renounce Jesus or you will die. And he said, my cross I'll carry until I see Jesus. And they shot him dead with an arrow. And there was a young Indian man standing there watching the whole thing and heard the words that he said and took it and put it to song. And it became the song, I have decided to follow Jesus. Still the most famous song that they sing in India to this day in the Indian church. This is not a song about altar calls. This is not a song about simple decisions. This is not a song about following Jesus when it's easy and when it's popular. This is a song about what it takes to truly follow Jesus Christ. There's a commitment that it takes. And that's what we see here. Being a Christian is being a follower of Jesus Christ. It's serious business. That's what Jesus is going to show these guys here too, that there is a, a cost to get to, to following Jesus Christ. Many have decided to go to heaven, but there's not many that have decided to follow Jesus. And I want to say that again because many uh, in, in our area and maybe even our church today, you've decided to, to go to heaven. That's what you want to do, but you haven't decided yet that you want to follow Jesus. And you can't just decide to go to heaven because if you want to decide to go to heaven, you better decide to follow Jesus. So that's what this song is all about. It's a, it's a song about cost. And that's what this, this, this passage here today is all about. And this cost isn't being preached in churches today. It's being obscured. It's being hidden. It's, it's like it's a, the, the fine print behind the, the, the contract that we have. And you want to get people to sign it, but you don't want to show them what it's going to cost. Jesus doesn't do that. He sets it out there front and center for all to see. If you want to follow me, it's going to cost you. And that's what he tells his disciples here. He gives them the cost. He tells them what they've gotten themselves into before they go. Here's what it's going to cost you. Here's what it's going to take. Here's what it means. Here's what it's going to require. Here's what it's going to involve. And they saw the cost and they decided to follow Jesus. Though none go with these 12 disciples, they will follow. My cross I'll carry until I see Jesus and they follow. He gives them what it costs and they are willing to pay the cost. The question today for you is, are you willing to pay the cost to follow Jesus? Because this wasn't just for the disciples. It's not just for the twelve. It's not just for a higher class of believers. He's giving the cost to every single one of us here today. The church in America doesn't know the cost. And you need to know the cost today. What it means. What it involves. What it will bring you if you follow Jesus. He's giving us here the cost. This is for what he says to them, he says to us. He's saying this to all people at all times. And he says it in general words. He says, whosoever is going to follow me. That's whoever wants to. He calls them disciples and servants. These two verses here shows us, these two, the commitment it takes to follow Jesus. There's an old quote by a Puritan that says, it doesn't take much of a man to follow Jesus. But it does take all of that man to follow Jesus. So let's look at this here today. The commitment it takes to follow Jesus. And these words here from Jesus are direct. I love that he's direct. I love that he doesn't pull punches. I love that he tells it how it is. We want preachers like that that's not going to hide anything from us. Let it be known. Here's what it takes to follow Jesus. His words are demanding. This one demands something from you today. You cannot sit in this pew today and say this isn't for me. It's demanding something from you. It's like the Holy Spirit, again, as I started the sermon, is reaching his, the Holy Spirit's arm out and grabbing you by the shirt and saying, this is what it takes from you to follow Jesus. 
It requires something from every single one of us in here. And it might be difficult for us to hear. There's a reason preachers don't preach these things. There's a reason they skip these passages. They'd rather have more people with no cost than less people paying the high cost. But Jesus says, no, 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 no. I want those who are willing to pay the cost. I want committed people. So here's the commitment that it takes. Let's look at it. I'm going to give you three points as we look at two verses and show you how to be a committed follower of Jesus. The first point is, verse 24, it takes a commitment to learn from Christ. It takes a commitment to learn. That's the key word, learn from Christ. Look what it says, verse 24. There's two things here that he says. The disciple is not above his master, and the servant is not above his Lord. So it's an obvious statement that both of these, the, the servant and the disciple, are both underneath. You see that? It says the disciple is not above. So he is, if he's not above the master, then what is he? He's below him. He's submitted to him. He is surrendered to him. I have a, a teacher and I am a student learning from that teacher. I'm underneath that teacher. And then I am a, a slave or a servant and it's my job to be underneath. You, don't, you never turn those things around. The students don't teach the teachers and the servants don't tell the, the masters what to do. So we are underneath Jesus. That's what it's saying here. That's what we are as followers. We're under him. We are, uh, uh, we are submitted to Him. We are surrendered to Him. We have bowed down to Him. We say, whatever you would have us to do, Lord, that's who we are. We are surrendered to Him. That's what followers are. It takes submission on our part. And I can say those words, but you need to know in more detail what that means. Let me show you what it means. First of all, you submit. See, we're submitting ourselves. Understand that. We're submitting ourselves. He is above us and we are below Him. He is the master, and I am the student. He is the, the, the owner, and I am the slave. He is the Lord, and I do whatever he says. The Greek would be, I am the doulos. I am the, the slave, and he is the, the Greek, kurios. He is the Lord of my life. I do whatever he tells me to do. So what am I submitting to him? Number one, let me show you this. You're submitting your, get this, your mind. The first thing we submit to Jesus is our mind. Christianity is a thinking religion. You have to bring your mind. It is not a mindless religion. So look, look what he says. We submit our minds to him as teacher. He is our teacher. We are the students. It says that, the disciple. That word disciple is, it means to be a learner. So we are the learners and he is the teacher. So it is our job, submitted under him, to listen to him and to learn from him. Be teachable. We should be teachable people. He's the teacher, I'm the student. The students don't rule the classroom, do they? Shouldn't. So we do whatever the teacher, we listen to whatever the teacher says. He says that in Matthew eleven twenty nine. learn of me. I like that. There are no, get this, you'll like this. There are no know-it-alls in the church. There's a lot of people that think they know it all, <laughs> but there's no know-it-alls in the church. Do you know the type that I'm talking about, people that, that come to church and they live their lives and they think they know everything about everything? They are know-it-alls. I, I know some know-it-alls. My kids seem to be know-it-alls sometimes. It's like they're all, they, they know everything. They're like 10 years old and you think you know everything about everything? You're not a know-it-all. I know something. There's know-it-alls all over the place. That they're critical. Get this. They're critical of everything. They're experts in pointing out how everybody else is wrong. You know anybody like that? Critical of everything and everybody. I know some people in churches like that. They walk into church and all they want to do is point out what's wrong. I know people that I'm looking for a new church. Are you really? Yeah, I've been to 50 and there's something wrong with every single one of them. You know, highly likely that... It's not, not the churches, it's you. <laughs> Walking to the church and say, oh man, that song's bad. Oh man, that preacher's dressed bad. Oh, I don't like his voice. I don't like how they looked at me. Oh, they shook my hand. I bet they're sick. And it's just critical after critical after critical. You're a know-it-all. There's no know-it-alls in the church. I'll give you another one. They're not out to grow. They're out to show how much they know. Right. Come into church and they're, all they want to do is show, how much they, show off how much they know. I'll give you one more. They have no patience with anybody at any time. 
They look at everybody and think, why don't you know what I know? <laughs> They're all mouth and no ears. You ever heard the saying that God gave us two ears and a mouth for one mouth for a reason? So we'd listen twice as much as we talk. Know-it-alls, you'd think they have 15 mouths and no ears. Talk, 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 talk. Why? Because they have so much to say. <laughs> I know everything and you need to know what I know. In the church, there are no know-it-alls. Understand this, we are, don't know much at alls. I hate to say this, but I'm going to. One day you're going to realize that your pastor don't know much at all. <laughs> Maybe you guys think I know a lot, I don't. And the more you're around me, my wife will tell you, he don't know much. <laughs> she, she knows. And you know what? Neither do you. The more you learn, the more you realize you need to learn more. We're all swimming in the shallow end of the pool. Every single one of us. And those people that think they're heady, high-minded, and they know more than anybody else, have never submitted themselves to say, I need to learn more. Christians, all Christians, all followers of Jesus, submit ourselves to become learners in the school of Jesus Christ. He is the master teacher, and I'm just a student. And he tells me, get this, he tells me what to think. The world does not tell me what to think. I don't care what college professors say. They're not my teacher. Jesus is. And if whatever they say contradicts what Jesus says, my teacher is Jesus. And I listen to him. I don't listen to them. You go to school and they contradict what Jesus says, you're going to have to say, I don't believe that. I mean, you don't have to be rude about it, but you're going to sit there and say, I do not accept that teaching because the master teacher says that that is different. I submit myself to his teaching. I, I, whatever he says about marriage is better than whatever other teacher says about marriage. What he says about the home, I believe that. What he says about creation, I don't care what all the other scientists in the world say. I believe what Jesus says about creation. I submit to his teaching. That's what a student of Jesus is. What he tells me to think, I think. What he tells me to believe, I believe. He is a teacher and I am the student. That's what it means to be a follower. Our minds must be totally given over to Christ. What does Jesus say? Fill in the blank about whatever subject you want to talk about. What does Jesus say about it? And I'll believe that. I had somebody jump on to me this week about something I believed. I just believe whatever Jesus says. That's as simple-minded as I can be. I don't know it all, but I know who knows it all. But that's not it. That's not all he says here. Get this. I've got to move on. I like that. We, we come to church to learn from Jesus. We sit in pews or chairs around a preacher so we can learn not from the preacher but from the word of God. We submit our minds. We have a Christianity today that is mindless and all about the emotions. They come to church to feel good and not to learn from Jesus. We sit around the Bible. That's what we're doing here. The Bible is front and center. And all that we do in church, why? We're sitting around the words that Christ has said so we can learn from Him. We want to learn about Him. We want to learn what He teaches. We want to know what He says. Teach me. This is a school here. The school of Christ. When you go home, you set your children around the Word of God and you form your family and your home and your marriage around the words of Christ. It's what followers do. i got to move on. We won't, we won't get anywhere. Disciples, there's a lot in that one phrase. But that's not all. We're not just here to fill a notebook full of information. We're not just here to be a hearer or a learner, but he also says, get this, the servant is not above his Lord. You know what this means? He changes it, the master and the slave illustration. We know this one. What is the number one job for, what is the only job that a slave is supposed to do? Whatever his master says. It's the only job. If the master says get up at six and go to work, he, guess what he does? He gets up at six and he goes to work. Whatever the master says to do, he does. 
And that's what he's saying here. We don't just get this. This is so good. We don't just, as followers of Jesus, we don't just learn from him. We do learn. We must learn. But we don't just fill a notebook and go out and not do what he says. So now our minds are submitted, but here he says our wheels are submitted. That I won't just learn everything from him, but that I will do everything he tells me. There's a, there, there's a big difference between some people who know a lot and they never do anything with it. But followers of Jesus learn from him, submit their minds to him, and then they submit their wills that I will do whatever he tells me to do. We sit around the Bible here and we learn of him and we take notes and we learn Matthew and we learn the Psalms and we learn Thessalonica. We learn all these different different books of the Bible so that we can walk out these doors and do what he says. That's what a, that's what a follower is. That's our number one job to obey at all times. James said, be a doer of his word, not just a hearer only. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I tell you to do? We must submit as followers of Jesus, both our minds and our wills. We learn and we live what he, what he teaches. That's what a follower is. You must submit your mind to the words of Christ. And you must submit your wills to the words of Christ. That's who we are. It's what we do We are learning from Him so that we can live for Him. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. You can call yourself a follower, but if you don't learn from Him and then do what He says, you're not a true follower. There's a lot of people that sit in churches and they don't learn and they don't live it. You can't call yourself a follower if you don't. Let's move on. And didn't Jesus get this? Matthew 28, when He was ascending looked at his disciples and he said, go into all the world and make decisions for me. Make disciples. And teach them to observe all, all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the, end of the earth. You, you see that? He tells them, now I have taught you, you have learned, and you've submitted your life to me. Now you go out and you make people just like you. Teach them to observe all that I've commanded. So number one, it must be a commitment to learning and living the commands of Christ. Number two, now let me say this before I move on. Does, this describe, does that describe your life? I see a lot of people who call themselves followers of Jesus, but when they read something in his word, they say, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't, I, I, no, 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 not that. And basically what they're doing is taking and ripping out pages of their Bible. Thomas Jefferson did that. There's a Thomas Jefferson Bible that you can find. You can Google it. You say, what's a Thomas Jefferson Bible? He didn't like a lot of the miracles in the Bible and didn't believe them, so he took his Bible and ripped out the miracles. Do you think he was a follower of Jesus or a follower of Thomas Jefferson? Because when we say, I don't believe this that's in the Bible, or I refuse this, there's doctrines that that I've seen people say that. It says it, but I refuse to believe it because I don't think that'd be so. I don't care what you think. I believe what the Bible says. I don't rip out pages. I don't blacken out verses. We believe whatever Christ says. Sometimes, get this, I'm going to be here forever. Sometimes God's word disagrees with me. If God's word has never disagreed with you, maybe you're not following God's word, you're following your own word. There have been times that I've opened up the Bible and said, I don't like that. Oh, no. You say, oh, Josh, don't say that. That's hard. That's rough. And if I follow Josh, I'd say I refuse that. But if I follow Jesus, I say I submit myself to his teachings. Whatever he says is right. And I love to do that. Does that describe your life? Are you submitted to learn from Jesus and to live what he says? Number two, it not only takes a commitment to learn from Christ, but it takes a commitment to be like Christ. Understand this, it it flows beautifully here. Because if you learn from him with your mind, get this, this is so good. If you learn from him in your mind, 
and you obey Him with your will, then automatically you will become, be, start to look like Jesus. Look what it says. Verse 25. It is enough. I love that phrase. What a, what a phrase. It is enough. I, I spent probably an hour just looking at that phrase. It is enough. It is sufficient. It is good enough for me. I'll be content with. The number one goal of a follower of Jesus' life is what this is getting ready to tell us. The number one aim, this is what we want, this is what we're after. We want this and nothing else. That's what it is enough means. This is all I want in life as a follower. I'm not after being famous. I'm not after being rich. I'm not after being liked. I'm not after being everybody's friend. All I want, it is enough for me that I fill in the blank. Watch this. It is enough. I would underline that, highlight that. Take out your pen and say, it's enough. If I was a Pentecostal preacher, I'd have you all say that right now. Say it with me now. But I'm not. <laughs> I shouldn't have said that. It is enough for the disciple to that he be as his master and the servant as his Lord. All we want in life is to be like Jesus. That's it. If you want to be a follower of Jesus, then your number one goal will be to be like him. There's an old commercial when I was growing up, and I loved it. I've taught it to my boys. Gatorade commercial. Michael Jordan dribbling and shooting. I want to be, I want to be, I want to be like Mike. And boy, I want this six-foot-two white guy... <laughs> Did everything in his power to be like the greatest athlete in the history of the world. I walked around shooting like him and dribbling like him and did his free throw routine like him. I even stuck out my tongue when I'd done layups. <laughs> Touch the backboard. <laughs> want to be, want to be, want to be like Mike. If I could be like Mike, my whole goal in life as a teenager was to be like Michael Jordan. I wore his shoes. I wore his clothes. Mom could amen this. Everything he put out I wore. My goal now is I want to be, want to be, want to be like Christ. Whatever he's like, that's what I want to be. It says here that's all that a, a, a disciple wants to be. That's all. That's enough. A disciple be like his master. It's enough for a servant to be like his Lord. That's all we want. I'll be content with being like Jesus. If I have nothing else in life but I can be like Jesus, that's enough for me. That's, that's all that I'm after. I'll be content with. I'll be pleased with being more and more and more and more every day like Jesus. That's all that we want. A follower says, I have to be like Jesus. We need a church full of people that says, I don't want to be liked. I don't want to be famous. I don't want to be rich. I don't want any of the things that the world affords me. All that I want is to be like Jesus. And I will do everything in my power to reach that. It's called growing. It's called spiritual maturity. If you want to grow, you've got to be more like Christ. And that's what God blesses more than anything else in the world. Robert Murray McShane said this, it's not great talent that God blesses, but great likeness to Jesus. That's what God blesses. God loves His Son. And the more and more we look like His Son, the more and more He blesses it. It's what God wants, and it must be what we want. Followers of Jesus Christ want to be like their Savior. I'll give you some verses. It's not just here. It's not just this list one here. Luke 6.40 says this, The disciple is not above his master, but everyone after they are fully trained or perfect shall be like his master. Romans 12.1 says this, Be not conformed unto this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Our mind, the more we learn, the more we live, the more we are like Jesus. You like how that, I mean, it just flows so good. The more we learn and the more we live out the commands of Christ, the more we will be like Christ. We want to be like Him. Let me give you a couple of other verses. Romans 8, 29. I'm going to read this to you. You don't have to turn there. 
This is the golden chain of salvation. Whom God did foreknow, he also did predestinate. To be conformed, look at that. To be conformed into the image of his son. He saved us. This verse here would say, he foreknew us and he chose us to be like his son. Salvation isn't the end of it all. Salvation is just the beginning of it all. It's the start of it all. Where we begin to look like Jesus. To be conformed into his image. I'll give you another verse. Galatians 4.19. Paul says this. My little children of whom I have travailed in birth until Christ be formed in you. What an amazing statement. Paul said, I have worked so hard in this church, and the reason I've worked like that, travailed in birth. You guys ever seen somebody give birth to a child? You know that that's work. And Paul says here, I have worked so hard in this church, and the reason I've worked this hard is that so that Christ will be formed in the people. Josh, why do you preach an hour-long sermon? Josh, why do you preach? And why do we why do we have Sunday school hour and Sunday morning hour? And Sunday Sunday morning sometimes turns into an hour and 15 minutes. Sunday night hour. And Wednesday night hour. And, and we're doing all these Bible studies and we're doing all these different things. Why do you do that? The more you learn, the more you live, the more you'll be like Christ. And God's number one goal for you, and my number one goal for you, is that Christ will be formed in you. That you will begin to look more and more like Jesus Christ. Because that's what He wants out of us. To be like His, His Son. I want nothing else for me. I want nothing else for you than for Christ to be formed in you. I want nothing else for my kids. I love being the, the number one role model of my children. I hear people complain all the time about how bad our role models are in Hollywood. <laughs> Actors are not my kids' role models. They see something popular, new fads in Hollywood. We don't follow that. Oh, our musicians are such bad role models. When do we start following musicians? I've heard this one lately too. Oh, my, our politicians are such bad role models. Since when did they become our role models? Maybe that's what's wrong with America is that our, our parents aren't the role models anymore. I love that I'm the role model for my children. My boys think, and, and those that are sitting in here today, they, they think that their dad is the greatest thing that's ever lived. Steph would say they're so wrong. <laughs> she knows me. She knows I'm not. But my boys can only follow me as much as I'm following Jesus. And the second I go astray is the second they need to say, Dad isn't my role model anymore. Paul said, follow me as I follow. Let's, let's, let's do it. Follow me as I follow Christ. I'll say this. I stand up here and preach these sermons. And yes, biblically speaking, you should follow your pastor. But you should only follow me as long as I'm following Jesus. And the second that I go astray from his teachings and his way of life is the second you need to say, I can't follow that man anymore. Our whole goal here is that you will be formed to look more like Jesus. It is enough for me to be like him. Why do you teach, Josh? Because it's through our minds that we are renewed and conformed into the image of Christ. It's through our minds. Why are some of these churches not putting out disciples that look and act and talk like Jesus? Because their sermons are sermonettes that last ten minutes. You know here, we are filling your minds. We are filling notebooks. I see people all the time, they'll leave notebooks in here, and I look at it, it's page upon page upon page of Matthew. And I'm sitting there thinking, yes, amen, praise the Lord. We're learning. My kids are taking notes. We're learning, we're learning, and that learning becomes living, and that living becomes being like Christ. He's being formed in us. This is so good. You say, what does it look like to look like Christ? I'll say, number one, it's less of me. 
I need to stop being me. That's a profound statement. The world says you need to be more you. (laughs) Be yourself. The Bible says be like Jesus. My biggest problem is me. You know what your biggest problem is? You may say me too, but it's not. Your biggest problem is you. I need less. Didn't Paul say that too? I need less of me and more of him. Christian growth is this. You guys aren't excited about this as I am. Christian maturity is this. I decrease and he increases. That's maturity. I look less like me and more like him. When I stand up and look in the mirror of the mornings, I need to be seeing more characteristics like Jesus and less like Josh. Get this, I need to see less Josh and all the influences that influence Josh, and I need to see more Jesus. There are so many things that influence us. I see fads today, and I think, where in the world did that come from? I'm turning the old man that says, wow, look at these kids today. (laughs) We need to see more Christ in our children, in our teenagers, in our young couples, in our older couples. We need to see more Christ here being formed in us. What does that look like? It's his character. It's not a certain look that you have to have. I'm going to walk and I saw some guy do that one time. I'm going to live a year like Christ. And he started wearing these long robes. Just has I'm not saying that we have to all start wearing long robes. This is what it means. Let me just give you a couple things here, and we'll move on to the last point. Because this is very practical. His character must become my character. What he loves, and I'll say that character, what he loves, I love. What he hates, and he does hate, guess what I do? I hate it too. How do you know what he loves and what he hates? His word starts in the mind, and it becomes how we live start to be like him. I study his word and see what he loves. I study his word and see what he hates. I study his word and see what he wants. I can know the will of God by studying his word. I'll give you another one. His choices become my choices. That old soul's old bracelets and there's a book called What Would Jesus Do? And I know it's cliche to say that but it's wonderful. I can look at it and I say, I know what Jesus did for me and that's why I'm saved. And now he is my example so that I'm going to do whatever he would do. I want to do what Jesus would do. And it it works for everything. It works for everything. You turn on your TV and you can ask yourself this, would Jesus watch this? (laughs) That's not hard in some cases. Would Jesus listen to that? Would Jesus, let's go even further to our conversation, say that? Our conversations need to start sounding more like Jesus and less like Josh. There's times that I want to get on Facebook and say, all right, let's go. You know, I'm going to start telling people what I think about them. That's what Josh would do. What would Jesus do? Oh, man. That's when you start really seeing when the, when the rubber meets the road. When I start, ah, oh, here we go. Let's, let's get them now. Boom, 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 boom. Post. (laughs) You know? And there has been times that I've had things topped out. Boom, 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 boom. And I'm like, and there's some, that's that's the Holy Spirit's voice to me. No, 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 no. And I'm glad I got that. Evidence proves to me that I've got the Holy Spirit of God within me saying, Stop it, Josh. Turn that trash off. Don't listen to that. Don't go there. Uh Uh-oh, get those words back in your mouth, buddy. I start to, the more I learn, the more I start to talk like Jesus. Would that filthy communication come out of Jesus' mouth? Hmm. Would it? I hear Christians talk sometimes and I think, "That that doesn't sound nothing like Jesus. Some of the words that they say, no. I say that to my boys all the time. They, they, they'll get attitudes. I'm like, would Jesus act like that? Would followers of Jesus act like that? And then, you know, it becomes, Ugh. 
He threw out the Jesus card on me, you know. <laughs> but it's true. Sometimes Christians need to be reminded of that. Would Jesus do that? I was sitting at KFC the other day. I'll tell this story and I'll move on. Sitting at KFC one, uh, like two Sundays ago. It's one of the great blessings of this church being where it is. Chicken across the road. <laughs> Baptist church too. And a little girl in the back part of the KFC stood up across the room said, hey, mommy, there's Jesus. <laughs> and she was looking at me. I know you guys didn't get that. <laughs> and her mom looked at her and said, no, that's the man who teaches us about Jesus. And she had taken the two and put them together. And she walked up to me and she said, she looked at her mom and she said, is it okay if I call him Jesus? And I said, I've been called a lot of things in my life, awful things. But that was one of the greater moments of my life. That I could be said to be in the same sentence with him. This is one of the greatest compliments. And I know it's not true. I'm nowhere near. Nowhere near him. But every single day I wake up and I say, you let me be closer to being like him today. Until Christ be formed in you. Again, how is this done? Learning, living it out, and you'll become like him. The more you learn, the more you become like Jesus. You resemble what you revere, whether for ruin or for redemption. What do you revere? May Jesus be what we revere more than anything else. Is this happening in your life? As you look in the mirror, you see more Christ in you than you did, I'll say it this way, than you did last year, than you did two years ago, than you did five years ago. No one becomes like Jesus on accident. We're not going to wake up in the morning and say, huh, I'm more like Jesus today. It takes commitment. Third point. This follows in a progression. Commitment to learn, a commitment to be like, and then lastly, it takes commitment to be looked at like Christ. To be looked at like Christ. If I begin to look like Christ, then people will begin to look at me like Christ. Like they looked at him. And that's what it says here. Look, look, just, let's go on to the last, last of this verse. <laughs> if they called, see, see this? If I look like him, then I'm going to be treated like him. This is automatic, is it not? If I act like him, people will treat me like they treated him. If I believe what he believed and what he taught, if, if he being the teacher and I being the student, and, and they, what they say about him, they're going to say about me. Is that not the truth? That's what he's saying here. If they called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more are they going to call those that are in his house the same thing? That's what he's saying here. You'll be looked at, treated like, viewed as, perceived as Jesus was. This is a great illustration. If the master of the house, which is the head of the household, that's what the illustration is, if they treat him like that, then they will treat the rest of the house in the same way. The head of the house had, had servants underneath him. The head of the house had sons and had daughters and had a wife. There's all these people in the family with the head of the household. And however they treated the head of the household, they'll treat the rest of them in the same way. You guys understand that? If the head of the household went out in town to shop and the people in town looked at the head of the household and said, I hate that guy. He's awful. Then when his son goes out in town, you know what they're going to say about him? Same thing. Daughter goes out in town, you know what they're going to say about him? Same thing. Or her. As the servant goes out in town, they're going to say, there's that guy's servant. Same thing. I'll say this. When I go out in town, there's people in town that surprises me. that don't like me. I, I don't understand why. My kids, again, think I'm the greatest thing in the world. There's people out there that will scoff at me. There was a lady this week that scoffed at me because of something I believed. And I, I, I gave her a shrug, you know. This is what Jesus teaches. You, 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 you're not against me, you're against him. 
And it's, you know, it doesn't hurt me any. Jimmy Crack Corn, I don't care. <laughs> Where did that come from? <laughs> I hope that's a clean statement. I don't. <laughs> I, I, I don't. You, you, you hate Christ. You hate what he teaches. You hate his word. You don't hate it. Steph's laughing at me. Is that, is that not true? It's not me. It's what I believe and what Christ has taught. And get this. If they say those things about me out in town, then when my wife goes out in town, she ain't done nothing wrong. But people are going to look at her and say, there goes that preacher's wife. Right? And then my kids are going to get out there in the basketball court and they're going to say, preacher's kids. They ain't said nothing. They ain't done nothing. The only reason they get scoffed at is because they have a connection to this guy, the head of the household. That's the illustration that he gives here. How can the rest of the household, and that's what we are, Jesus is the head of the house. Jesus is the Lord of the, the church. Jesus is the great shepherd of the sheep. And you know what we are? I'm, his, I'm in his household. I'm a part of his family. I'm one of his ambassadors. I'm one of his children. I'm a part of the family of God. And if he's going to be treated like that, then you better believe everybody else in his family will be treated in the same way. How was he treated? Oh, this is a good question. I'm, I've got time. You guys are learning here, right? We're learning. So you can live this. Was he treated well? <laughs> How was he talked about? Read through the Gospels, and we've been going through this one. He's been insulted. He's been reviled. He's been slandered. He's been smeared. He's been villainized. And here it says, if he's called Beelzebub. What a term. You guys know what that means? It means they're going to call him, this, the term Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. It's a term that the Jews would use in a derogatory way about pagan gods. If God wasn't your God and you followed some idol or some made-up God, they called that God the Lord of, well, I've got to be real careful here, the dung. Because flies would fly around the dung. They'd say, our God is real. And your God is a God of the flies around dung. That's what Beelzebub means. And Jesus here says, if they call me the Lord of the flies, if they call me the, the God of dung, and that's what they, and then they did. Jesus was called, we saw it just a few passages ago. He was called demon-possessed. Oh, he's about the power of the devil. He was called the devil himself. Jesus was called Satan. He's in, he's in cahoots with Satan. And then they killed him. That's how he was treated. I've never been called Satan. I've been called close. And he was called those things primarily by religious people. Some of the worst treatment that I've ever received are by those who name the name of Christ. Why? Jesus was treated this way by the religious because he come in and broke up their little game. They were doing religion how they wanted to do it and the way they wanted to do it. You know who was their God? They were their own God. They were submitted to their own ways. And Jesus comes in and says, no, uh, uh this is how it's supposed to be done. So that's how he was treated. And then he asks here, and, and, and look, look what it says. If they've called the master of the house Beelzebub or Lord of the flies, Lord of the dung, how much more shall they call them of his household? If we identify with him, and I do, I have no problem identifying with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's not something I put on social media only. It's, something, it's, not, it's not something I, people say, you're wearing your religion on your sleeve. No, I wear my religion in my heart, and it's going to flow out of me one way or the other. And if you don't like it, that's who I am. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. I'm in cahoots with Jesus. I'm in fellowship with Jesus. You can deny it if you want. You can look down there at me at verse 32. Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men. You see that? So you have that option. 
You can go out there in the world and deny Jesus if you want to. If you want popularity, deny Jesus. If you want to be liked, deny Jesus. If you want to be uh, famous, find you another Lord and another master. But if you want to be hated, follow Jesus. Again, we're counting the cost. John 15, 18 says this, If the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you. Be glad when the world don't love you. It means you're standing for something. I'll give you another one. John 16, 1 says, The time will come when they will kill you and think they're doing God's work. John 15, 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. I'll give you another one. Philippians 1, 29, this is my favorite one. Mark this one down. For unto you is given, that's a gift, it's been given to you. You understand this? He has given us two things in this verse. Unto you it is given on the behalf of Christ to believe on him, number one, and to suffer for his sake. Those are two great gifts. To believe and to suffer. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, All those who live godly will suffer persecution. And here it says, and I'm closing. Do you notice there it says, How much more? You want to take out your ink pen and mark that one? How much more? Even more so than he was? Not just as he was, but more than he was. Why more? I'm an easier target. I'm worse than he was by far. I'm easy for them to give. I'm low-hanging fruit. I'm weak. Jesus is almighty. They can attack him, and then what are they going to do? So this is what this is saying is if he was mocked, I'll be mocked more. If he was beaten, I could be beaten more. If he was scourged, I could be scourged. He was spit on. Will I be spit on? He was nailed to a cross. Will I be nailed to a cross? Do you understand that he's in this passage, he's sending out 12 disciples, and out of the 12, one denied him and left because he couldn't count the cost. He said, I'm not committed to this. And out of the 11 that was left, and there was another added after that, all but one was killed, martyred, Peter was nailed to a cross upside down because he said, I'm not worthy to be hung the same way that Jesus was. The only one that wasn't was John, and he was put on the island of Patmos where he wrote the, the, the letter of Revelation, which was a prison island. They all suffered because they were committed to following Jesus. So we will be looked at, viewed as, and treated in the same way he was. And you say, no, 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 not today, not today, not, not in this time. Do you understand that his name is still used as the most popular curse word in the world? His name is still a term of derision. And out of all the curse words that they take off of our TVs and they bleep it out, they let that one stand. And if they curse him in that way, don't you dare think they won't do it to you. But followers of Christ are committed to lasting just like Jesus did. No matter what the world throws at us. Hebrews says that he en endured the cross and despised the shame. And is now seated at the right hand of the throne of God on high. That he endured every single thing that they threw at him. And he never quit and he never gave up. And he could have. He went to the garden right before he died and said, if it be your will, let this cup pass from me. But not my will, but your will be done. And at that moment, he could have said, no. I don't want to be spit on. I don't want to be beaten. I don't want to be scourged. I don't want to hang on a cross. I don't want to do it. But he stood up in that garden. He went to that cross and he endured every bit of the shame and the suffering 
And why did he do it? Why in the world would anybody take what he took? He did it for you and me. A lot of what gets thrown at me, I deserve. <laughs> it's true. None of what was thrown at him was deserving. Every whip that hit his back should have went to me. Every nail that went into his hands should have been to me. The crown that was upon his head that was flattened down on his head with blood pouring down should have been on my head. He suffered and he endured it all for us. He was committed to the task at hand, which was saving his people from their sins. So if we see his commitment to us, oh, this is so good. And see what he did for us on the cross. Then how can we not turn around and be fully committed to him? That's what it boils down to. When you see what he did and what he suffered and the way he died, it's only reasonable that everybody in this room now commit their life to him. No matter what the world throws at us. They can beat me, they can persecute me, they can talk about me, they can even kill me. But because of who he is and what he did for me, we should be willing to endure it all. So I call you today, you sitting in the pews, to commit yourself in a greater way to Christ. We live, I've got two minutes, hang on with me, okay? We live in a low commitment world. Today in Christianity, there is low commitment to the things of Christ. I'll even take it a step further. There is no commitment today to Christ. We live in a church culture, a Christian culture, when we only do things for Christ when it's easy, when it's convenient, when it's popular, when it's safe, when it's comfortable, when it's not risky. We'll do it when it's popular. We'll follow when everybody else is. But we have no commitment to Him at all. And we need today, in this moment, at this time, to say, I'm going to be more committed to Christ today and this year than I ever have been. We need people in the pews today, you, that, that this passage maybe grabbed you by the shirt collar and said, you need to be more committed to this man who died for you. We need more commitment in the church. We need people to, to, to be arrested by this and say, I'm rededicating myself to Jesus. To go back to that moment when you said, I have decided to follow Jesus. And today you're going to say, I am re-upping on that commitment and I decide today to keep following Jesus. We need this in our churches. Committed followers of Jesus Christ. If we're not committed today, will we be committed when it gets hard? No. If you can't be committed when it's easy, you won't be committed when it's hard. If you're not a follower today, you won't be a follower tomorrow. We need today to commit ourselves to Jesus Christ in the midst of a world that's turning against everything Christ stands for. Today, I'm going to recommit to Jesus Christ. And if you're here today and you're not saved, I call you today as Billy Graham would have. He was alive today and he was standing in this pulpit. You know what he would do? Oh, that southern drawl that he had. I wish I could mimic it. <laughs> He'd say, I call you this day. Those who are unbelievers and still in their sin. To come believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. He'd say, I believe it's the greatest decision you'll ever make. And you know what? It wasn't his power. It wasn't his charisma. It wasn't his southern draw of a voice. It was the power of God behind the word that he preached that brought thousands upon down the aisle. And may that same power of God be upon these words today. That if you're here and you're lost and you've never truly believed, that today you'll say, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, no turning back. You're sitting there and you're saying, I don't want to come up and make a fool of myself. People might think I'm saved already. Though none go with me, still I will follow. 
Though none get up and go with me, still I'm going to go. I have decided to follow Jesus. And if you're here today and you're suffering through some things, and your life is hard, and that's many of us, my cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. My cross I'll carry till I see Jesus. No turning back, no turning back. May today be the day you decide to follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this passage. What a beautiful two verses, beautiful two verses. But I know these words are hard, they're demanding. And I hope they've been received well. Because God, you know my goal in these words, my goal in this sermon is that people would be formed to be more like you. And I pray that for the Christians in this room, that they would commit themselves to these things, to learning, to being like, and even to being looked at like Christ. God, please, please, form that in us. Give us that commitment. In a low commitment, no commitment world that we live in, let us be committed to you. And Father, for those in here today who are lost, unbelievers, maybe today you're showing them the truth of their standing before you. May today be the day they make that all important decision to follow your son. Please. It'll be the greatest decision they've ever made. And we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.